next few minutes, we pray for a real attentiveness that we need. So many distractions, so many uh, little opportunities for little voices and little needs and little bathroom visits and little things that just come up that can be so distracting. I pray for an attentiveness that's beyond what we're able to listen to and what the Holy Spirit can only get credit for. I pray for a focus and a clarity that I know I don't have because it's fueled by the Holy Spirit. Thankful for these next few minutes we have together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter five. I'm gonna start with our passage. I'm gonna read our passage, a little paragraph, really only four verses. Then I'm gonna, we're gonna kind of look up from the page for a little bit. We're gonna kind of engage the context together. And then we're gonna unpack the luggage in these passages. And then we're gonna apply those together or we're gonna seek to apply those. So that's kind of a plan for the morning. So let's start with our passage. Hebrews chapter five, it's on page 1003 of my ESV, which likely is pretty close to your pew Bible. Or if you have an ESV, you may be round about in the same area, unless you have a study version or something like that. Beginning in verse 11 of chapter five. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The letter Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is really a written sermon. It's a written sermon from what appears to be their pastor for some period of time, maybe even at the moment, but he's just not with them, which is why it's written. We don't know where he is. He could be anywhere, but we have some sense that this church likely is in Rome. Some of the details that add up over the, the big picture of the letter point us to this little, what we would have called today, a Messianic Jewish church in Rome. There's a little Jewish section of Rome that we were able to see this last summer that overlooks the Tiber where you can actually see the Roman form. I mean, they are right in the middle of the Roman Empire, this little Messianic Jewish church. This pastor at the moment is not writing or is not with them, so he's writing to them, and he's writing to them what really turns out to be a beautiful picture for us of preaching and pastoring. It's a beautiful picture of pastoring because he deals with really hard things. He's less concerned about church growth and more concerned about church health. Man, it's a great example, great encouragement for this pastor at least. As far as a preaching model, the way this letter unfolds, it's a series of exposition and then exhortation. He exposes some awesome, rich, true thing about God and then he exhorts his people to respond appropriately. He does that consistently through the book. Exposition, exhortation. It's really a larger version of what we do every single week, really. We expose something true about God, and then we talk about ways that we can walk in it and apply it. Beautiful model for preaching and pastoring right here in this letter. 
Before I really climbed into the book of Hebrews a couple years ago, when I was first kind of looking it over and planning for us to go to Hebrews, it really seemed more kind of like a little theological treatise, you know, some deep theological things that we can consider. And more and more I studied, the more and more I realized this letter is written for a specific purpose. This pastor is writing to his church, appealing to them to continue. Just continue. To not bail on the faith because things are hard. Remember, they're likely in Rome. We at least know they're in the Roman Empire. So being a Christian in the Roman Empire is going to be hard. First of all, you got Rome. But really, in some cases, what was worse than Rome were Jews. Jews that were not messianic. Jews that believed that you were betraying your entire Jewish heritage to believe in Christ as Messiah. And these guys face tremendous persecution. Imagining, too, if this particular church was actually in Rome, overlooking the Tiber River, looking over and seeing the Roman form, seeing the pomp and circumstance that's prancing up and down the Roman form, which is open every single day, that it must have been pretty intimidating. It must have been easy for them to look across the river and say, man, that's power. That's power right there, Hebrews preacher. Come on, we see it every day, Hebrews preacher. That's really what's gonna last. Now here, we know better 2,000 years later. It's ruins. Ruins. And the church still stands. Man, what a great picture in and of itself. The Hebrews preacher begins an argument in verse 14 of chapter four about Jesus as high priest. And this argument goes all the way through chapter 10, verse 18. It's where we're going to go as a church these next couple of months. This argument concerning the priesthood, before we even really get into the sermon, I just want you to think about that for a minute. Think about you're in a context where you are facing tremendous persecution from family, from your government. When I say family, likely your Jewish relatives that think you've betrayed your heritage by trusting in Christ. You're in a context where you're facing tremendous persecution, tremendous trial, and your preacher wants to talk to you about the priesthood of Jesus? Man, that that hits me very practically because I cannot tell you the number of times. I'm talking with a couple there who's going through marital problems, or I'm talking with a guy that's struggling with one thing or another, and I'm relating the sermon from the week prior, and eyes glaze over it. They look at me and say, man, I need real help. I was there Sunday. I heard the sermon. Can you give me some real help? And I'm going, that was it. That's what he's doing right here. Man, they're facing real persecution. He's talking about the high priesthood of Jesus. Hmm. That's going to come into play here in these next few weeks. And it'll come into play this morning is how beautiful that is and what's in store for these next couple of months. Beginning in verse 11, though, of chapter 5 and going through chapter 6, verse 12 is a parenthesis in this teaching, important teaching about Jesus as high priest. It's sort of a pause where in some ways the preacher is looking up from his page or looking up from his sermon and he's saying, now, I'm realizing I need to address something before I continue with this really important teaching. I've done that on Sunday mornings at times when I see some jokers sleeping. You know I've done that. I've never called anybody by name, but I've looked up in the middle of a sermon and said, okay, we need to, that's why this thing's so well made. We need to wake up. 
In some ways, that's what he's doing in the sermon here, starting in chapter five, verse 11. In some ways, what begins in chapter five, verse 11, is a rebuke, a remarkable rebuke that is far worse than slapping the pulpit to wake somebody up. In some ways, what he does in chapter five, verse 11, through chapter six, verse 12, is like a cold shower. But it's a shower they need. And it's a shower that we will, be, we will benefit from just considering and enjoying together. Now, we're gonna look closely at verses 11 through 14, and I wanna kind of break it down for you, big picture. The verses 11, 12, and 13 deal with milk drinkers. And verse 14 deals with beef eaters. Verses 11 through 13, milk drinkers. Verse 14 deals with beef eaters. The way we're gonna break this down, we're gonna look at it a verse at a time. I'm gonna read a verse and then share just a few thoughts and unpack just a little bit of the luggage. We're gonna have the luggage kind of sitting around us and then we're going to spend the last part of the morning, morning considering five really sweet applications considering the luggage that surrounds us. Okay, I'm gonna look at a verse at a time, share some thoughts. Verse 12 is a little thicker, so we're gonna break up verse 12 into three chunks, just so you have a map where we're going. Beginning in verse 11, talking about milk drinkers. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Now, this points back to what's right in front of it. Remember, he looked up from his sermon in some ways. What he's been talking about is the high priesthood of Christ. About the high priesthood, we have lots to explain, but it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. That dull of hearing phrase can be translated, you become sluggish. You become slow to understand. Really, it could be paraphrased, you don't seem to listen. Man, some people don't want a pastor like that. Like, I'm out. I want somebody that makes me feel good about myself every single week. And I enjoy this pastor right here that says, you guys don't seem to listen, that has the guts to say that. He says, you have become dull of hearing. You've become sluggish. This you have become phrase implies that they were previously in a better condition, but now they are squarely in a state of dullness. Now let's look at the next verse, the first little phrase. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. The entire phrase in context and paraphrase could be said, there has been enough time for you to be teachers. You have been Christians long enough. You ought to be teaching. Now, let me define teaching for you here. Teaching is not teaching as you would necessarily think of it, like I'm doing right now. Teaching is not necessarily what you would think of, what a school teacher does, or what someone does in one of the classrooms over there on Wednesday nights. Teaching is what, in this context, is what every mature Christian should be able to do. You should have enough understanding of the things of God to be able to instruct newer believers. It doesn't imply teaching as occupation, and it doesn't even imply teaching as gifting. It's just talking about something that every mature Christian ought to be able to do. It says, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. 
The basic principles, these two words, elementary principles, is really how you could break it down. This word elementary actually comes from Greek language that points toward the first few letters of the alphabet. Now, what's really kind of cool about that is we could paraphrase this to say, basically, you need someone to teach you again the ABCs of the oracles of God. Man, this dude's a straight shooter. You need someone to teach you again the ABCs of the oracles of God are the sayings of God, the teachings of God, the message of God, the revelation of God. At this point, in this point of the story of the the, the church and the canon or the Bible being formed and developed, this would have included most of the Old Testament if they had access to it. We don't know if they had access to every bit of it, but all of the Old Testament had been written by this point and likely some of the teachings of Christ, maybe some excerpts from the gospels or maybe even a gospel or two at this point. He says, you need someone to teach you again the ABCs of the oracles of God, the full counsel of the revelation of God, the message of God. He says, but you instead need milk, not solid food. You have come to need milk is how that could actually be translated. There are some versions that say it that way. You have come to need milk, not solid food. Again, it's implying that this hasn't always been the case, that maybe there was some point in their time where they were hungry for some meat. But it's like their faith and their understanding have deteriorated. Gotta know that's possible. Nobody arrives. Man, we can very easily regress. He says, they have come to need galactose, is the Greek word. The weightier matters are just too heavy for them. Now, let me show you what he's calling milk. It would be helpful as a marker to know what he's calling milk. Look at chapter six, verse one and two. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not dealing with the ABCs again, not laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instructions about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, not dealing with those ABCs, not dealing with that being milk. Let that hit you for a minute. What the Hebrews preacher is calling milk is he's calling the doctrines of repentance milk. He's calling the doctrine of faith, milk. Doctrines of baptism, milk. The laying on of hands, milk. Resurrection, milk. Judgment, milk. Please let that hit you for a moment. There are whole churches that may go for years without engaging a diet like that. I'm reading that going, that's milk? These are the ABCs of the oracles of God? This is what he's calling milk? Man, that causes me to swallow hard. Wow. That looked like some pretty heavy stuff to me. I would call a church pretty faithful if they're engaging those things week after week after week. Repentance, faith, resurrection, judgment. Man, he's calling that milk? And what does he call solid food? That's what's in front of this section that we pointed out a moment ago, that this, 
This pointed back and that points forward. This big thing surrounding it from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 10. This is what he's calling solid food. The high priesthood of Christ. That's the advanced oracles of God. I was trying to use a different word for advanced because advanced just sounds advanced. It's not, oh, you know, oh, look. Give me the easy stuff. I'm not, I didn't go to seminary. I don't have any aspirations for seminary. I'm not up for anything advanced. That's for the real experts. But I couldn't think of anything else. I mean, like middle school oracles of God, high school oracles of God, college level oracles of God. I don't know, just keep going. Graduate school levels oracles of God. Everything post-elementary oracles of God. So we'll all just call it advanced and not be afraid of that word. That's what you ought to be eating. That's what solid food is. And in this context, what he's calling solid food is the high priesthood of Jesus. Wow. I was trying to imagine what these guys might have been saying to him. Can you make your sermons shorter, preacher Bill? I mean, we don't know his name. Brother Bill, it'd be funny if they called him brother. Could you make them a little easier to understand? Can you just tell me how to apply this to my life? Though I know you're not really with me every day to know the dynamics that I face every day. Can you just help me just sort of make this easy to where I can apply those things in those different contexts with those different people that you don't even know? I mean, I read the New York Times professional journals. I like to read heavy-duty periodicals and challenging books, but I really don't have the time or energy to really work at this Jesus stuff. I mean, really, religion and faith is supposed to, easy, supposed to be the easiest part of my life, right? To help me deal with all the rest of the hard stuff. So surely you don't expect me to work at this stuff, do you? Now, we don't know if that's how the conversation actually went, but I wonder I wonder, people are the same. There's nothing new under the sun. And I wonder if people now are any different from people then. Can you just make it easy? Look at verse 13, the cold shower continues. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Unskilled, that word there means inexperienced. And the word of righteousness, man, this really unfolds this whole little passage to us to help us make sense of it, to make it really practical for you as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, wife, employee, kid, to make sense of what's the point here. This word of righteousness broken down to its simplest meaning is this, the matter of what's right and wrong. Now, in a real complex sense, you could say, well, that's talking about the whole Bible and the whole full counsel, the revelation of God, and really, but boil down to its most basic sense, it's the matter of what's right and wrong. Everyone who's drinking milk, who's just stuck on these things that we just read, repentance, judgment, baptisms, laying on of hands, faith, Everybody who's drinking milk and is stuck in the ABCs is going to be inexperienced in the matter of what's right and wrong. Let that hit you for a minute. What? You're going to be inexperienced in the matter of what's right and wrong, but here's, it, it doesn't just rest there. It's not just a matter of saying this is good and this is bad. Being skilled in the word of righteousness means you can bring the whole message of Scripture, the full counsel to bear in your own lives. 
That's maturity. You can bring the full oracles of God, everything even beyond the ABCs. Now, do you have the ABCs? Sure, we use them every single day. But have you moved on to calculus and trig? You've moved on to keyhole essays at least. You're putting this thing together. You've moved beyond the ABCs and you're putting this whole message of scripture, the full counsel to bear in your own lives, in your families from day to day as you're trying to figure out what are we going to do for a living? What are we going to do with our kids? What are we going to do with our parents? What am I going to do with my husband? Man, it's the ones that are engaging the whole message of scripture and bringing those to bear in their own lives. To be able to apply the ABCs plus the full oracles of God in different situations, seeing that it has the power to transform lives and transform situations. That's skill in the word of righteousness as opposed to those who are drinking milk here who are unskilled. The Hebrew church is stuck in their ABCs. And they are without experience in the principle of rightness and wrongness. The application of the full counsel to daily life is foreign to them at this point, it appears. Man, I want you to see the point before we move on to the beef feeders. The point of this passage right here is that it's the oracles of God that serve as the measure of right and wrong and the instrument in which you learn to distinguish between good and evil. The oracles of God. The ABCs plus the rest. Man. All right, let's look at beef eaters, verse 14. But solid food, we've established what that is, at least in this context, is the teaching on Christ as high priest, is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Solid food, first of all, is more than the ABCs of the oracles of God. You gotta understand that. Solid food is more than the ABCs of the oracles of God. And the mature are those who have, first of all, powers of discernment. I, I put a little note in my Bible and a little note in my notes beside that saying, who doesn't want that? Powers of discernment and how to make sense of things from day to day all day long. Do any of you ever have to deal with problems, problem solving all day long with the rest of us like me? Man, wow, I would like to have powers of discernment. And that solid food is the thing that those who are, in, are, who are dealing with these matters in a wise way are going to be eating. The mature are those who have powers of discernment that are trained. That word in the Greek is gumnazo. It's where they get the word gymnasium. Sounds like work. Who are trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Constant practice. So it's solid food that helps one determine rightness and wrongness and constant practice with the advanced oracles of God, rightness and wrongness, that gives someone real powers of discernment. It's solid food that helps one determine rightness and wrongness and constant practice with the advanced oracles of God that gives someone real powers of discernment. Man, I felt like I was chasing my tail on this passage, especially that verse 14. I'm trying to figure out, okay, which comes first? Maturity or constant practice with the word of righteousness? Which comes first? Which is the chicken, which is the egg? 
And I said, wait a second, which comes first, maturity or constant practice with the word? Yes. Solid food is for the mature and solid food makes the mature. I thought of a stupid illustration, all right? Sometimes the illustration is actually good. This one's stupid, but maybe it'll help a little bit. I thought about like constant practice with driving. The fact that I made it through my first year, 15, I was 15 year old when I got my license in Louisiana back in the day, old pickup truck. The fact that I made it through my first year is a miracle. I mean, some of you can know what I'm talking about. Like, man, I cannot believe I survived that. I can't believe that I made it through that trip. Thinking about driving and thinking about how this might illustrate that it's by constant practice of driving that you get better determining what is a dangerous situation. Only by constant practice. That first year, I could have known all the rules, but I hadn't had constant practice in it. As you're maturing as a driver, as you practice. So which comes first? Yes, they come together. You're maturing as a driver as you practice and constant practice, we're gonna use the oracles of driving. We're gonna use that language just so you can make sense of this illustration. Constant practice with the oracles of driving or the rules and regulations or the laws gives you skill and wisdom. Without the oracles of driving, you might actually drive down Interstate 30 in the left lane for extended periods of time, oblivious to the rest of the world behind you. Jay Hall. (laughs) Christy McGraw. (laughs) You might not know that it's against the law. And you might say, hey, man, I got this open lane. It's cool. I travel over here. I don't have to worry about all that passing around people. I like this. Without the oracles of driving, you might just hang out in the left lane. But with the oracles of driving, but no driving, on the other hand, you might know all the rules and all the regulations, and you might in your mind be able to make those decisions, but the reality is it's all just in your head and you're not going anywhere. But when you put those things together, the oracles, all of them applied to constant practice, make for a good driver that can discern between safe and unsafe. And I cannot tell you the number of times I remember my dad telling me, now, son, you need to start slowing down right here. You see all these details, these things, these circumstances, and, you know, those aren't laws. It's just constant practice. We go, ah, I better slow down, let off the accelerator a little bit instead of waiting until the last minute and slamming on the brakes. But it comes with constant practice. Man, which comes first? They come together. This is a cold shower right here. I'm thankful for at least the picture of the beef eaters, but it is a cold shower and a stiff rebuke. And this guy's clearly more concerned with the health of his church than how many people are sitting in the pews. Man, he rebukes them of being dull and sluggish when they should be sharp and nimble and attentive for not being able to teach and instead needing to be taught again the ABCs of the oracles of God. And he rebukes them for being unskilled in the word of righteousness, not being able to make sense of right and wrong. Some application thoughts. First, there are five of these. First, don't miss the context of the letter. 
the church, plural you, is on the bubble. I realize I've used that phrase a number of times as we've been preaching through Hebrews. I found today, I thought, you know, I wonder where that phrase comes from. It comes from car racing. I bet Clay and Corey Petzl know all about that. Or Clay does at least. On the bubble. It's where they would determine, like, Corey, you don't know? What's up? Like, it's like a thousandth of a second is the difference between being in one heat or the next. Or where you're placed in a qualifying position or not. That's being on the bubble. And you don't know whether you're going to push forward or you're going to fall back. It's just so tight. And that's the situation for the Hebrews church. They are on the bubble and they are considering going back to Judaism because it's easier. Remember I said the worst persecution they might face would be from Jews. It'd be easy and handy to fall back to Judaism. You're not bailing on God after all, right? You're at least gonna make life a little easier. They're on the bubble and they're not taking hearty and deep solid food nourishment that they need to make sense of right and wrong. Just think about that comedy of errors. That's a perfect storm of a problem. They're on the bubble and they're not taking good nourishment. Man, I'm trying to figure out, there's no way for us to know which came first, where they stopped eating good nourishment and got on the bubble, or if they got on the bubble and then stopped eating good nourishment. We don't have to know which one came first. All we do have to know is that they go together. They did 2,000 years ago and they do now. Man, I tell you, without fail, when I see one of you on the bubble where you're like, oh, I don't know where it's, wait, things gonna fall. What's associated with that every single time is you have no use for the deep things of God. You've long since had that thousand yard stare in a sermon or slept. And man, you're on the bubble. You got no use for solid nourishment. Man, and when your work and your effort and your search and your diet and your pursuit of the oracles of God, the ABCs plus grows cold, so will your love and faith without fail. I've seen it more times than I can count and it's heartbreaking every single time you see it. Some of you in here today are on the bubble because you're just enduring this sermon. When will he be done? And you need to pause, regroup something and engage solid food. It's your only hope. You can't hope to continue apart from it. Man, it's heartbreaking every time it happens, and it happens. Second application point. They should have been able to teach. They should have been able to teach the weightier matters, the advanced oracles of God. And again, think about the context. The context here is the advanced oracles of God that he's referring to is the high priesthood of Jesus and specifically the doctrine of intercessory work of Christ as our high priest. That's what he's calling solid food. That's what he's saying mature Christians ought to be able to teach. Just hear this for a second. Just just let this question hit you for a minute. It's not a question, it's just an out loud wonder. I wonder how many of you can teach and practically apply the high priesthood of Jesus Christ at home with your children. Let it hit you for a minute. 
How many of you can bring the high priesthood of Christ to bear when you're having a conversation with a workmate whose marriage is on the rocks? Think about it just a minute. How many of you can bring the high priesthood of Christ to bear in these daily settings? Like when someone's faced with a difficult trial, you go, you know what? Let me tell you about the high priesthood of Christ. And let me tell you how that's gonna give you hope and give you perspective and give you insight and even give you discernment in this situation. Let me tell you this, I'm gonna be really honest with you. As I asked those questions and as I wondered out loud, I wondered to myself, I wonder if I can. I wonder if I can. I'm just being really honest. The kids are not listening to mom. Or Christy as teacher, school teacher, is just like, man, I am so frustrated. Things are really hard right now. Can I bring the intercessory ministry of Christ to bear in that moment? I wonder if I can. I'd have to work at it. (laughs) But here's the thing, though. Here's the really cool thing. I want to encourage you. In these next few months, you're going to be equipped to consider together and to explain to a younger believer or to your child or in that context or to a friend, Jesus as high priest and what that means for your lives today. If for some reason, by some chance, you're hearing me wonder out loud and you're going, man, I can't do that right now. Don't lose heart. Hang in there till the end of April. We'll be able to do it together. We're making a beeline for maturity with the very thing that he's saying, this is solid food. That's all we're going to be eating between now and the end of April. So man, let's be really honest and say, all right, let's swallow hard. How many of us can do that? I don't know if many can. I don't know if I can, but by the end of April, I'll be able to. I like that. Man, don't be disheartened. Beeline maturity. But here's the thing I want you to think about in in regards to teaching, being able to teach one another. Here's the sad point regarding their inability to teach one another. Milk drinking Christians are of little use to others in faith matters. I'm going to say it again because you got to hear that. Milk drinking Christians are of little use to others in faith matters. I got nothing. All I got is the ABCs, and you already know that, right? Man, but we're going to make a beeline for it these next couple of months. Third thing, you can't hope to make sense of right and wrong or the word of rightness and wrongness, the word of righteousness, apart from the advanced oracles of God. So what are you doing to get it? What are you doing to get it? We'll start with sermons because that's where I go to get it. I sit under a sermon just like you sit under a sermon. Sometimes, some Sundays when someone else is preaching, it's it's message for me and my family that week as well. I don't take a break from hearing the preaching of God's word because I'm preaching or because I'm sitting right there with my family. Let's start with hearing sermons. You know, it's funny to me, the number of times in 10 years where I've had somebody tell me, you know, hey man, I kind of got distracted a few minutes into the sermon and, you know, I kind of like 
kind of, you know, I got the little thing in my Bible that shows me all these other verses that are kind of about like what you're talking about. I looked at a lot of those verses and I kind of did my own little study, you know, right there. It was kind of cool. I, you know, here's what I found. And I'm like, wow, Shazam, that's pretty amazing. So you mean during a 30, 40 minute, maybe an hour long sermon, you had something that had more substance than somebody that had an entire week, 30, 40, maybe 50 hours, climbing the mountain, clawing, praying, bathing it in prayer. What you found in these few minutes in your pew had more substance for you than that? Wow, man, that's pretty amazing. Imagine what you would have if you preached. Maybe you should next week. Whew. Now, obviously, I'm talking to, not to talk to anybody directly, but I'm just going to tell you right now, that, that doesn't fly. Man, you got to start with the sermons. And hopefully your sermons will continue to be deep, true, rich things about God, the full counsel, I mean, the full oracles of God, more than the ABCs. The ABCs, nothing wrong with the ABCs. I like a good glass of milk, but I got teeth. So I want something a little more than that. I want some beef. Man, that's what we need. And hopefully you continue to hear that from the pulpit week after week. And hopefully you continue to hear that from the pew. Now, that's a starting point. Another place to go would be daily Bible reading. That's been a theme the last few weeks, man. McShane, McShane, McShane. That's one guide. Christy and I are doing a thematic reading this year. That's, it's not by McShane. It's by another church, a Bible church in Seattle or something that put this thematic reading together. We want to hit the Bible from a different angle. We're reading scripture just like we have the last couple of years together, but we're hitting it from a different perspective. You can do that other ways. You can read a different version. If you've read through the Bible once or twice in the ESV or whatever, Read it this next year in the NIV, just your devotional reading, or read it in the New American Standard. You're going to see things in a different way, and you're going to saturate yourself with God's Word and the full counsel and all the oracles of God. And dots will begin to emerge in the third reading and the fifth reading and the 15th reading that you didn't see on the last reading. Dot, deep, rich dots, like those little weird posters. Those weird posters that you look at, and you're like, man, I don't see anything. It looks like crazy. It's crazy colors, and I'm looking at it. And they say, no, keep looking. I'm, like, I'm tired of that. No, like, keep looking. And you keep peering, and you keep peering, you stare in that thing, and you're trying to focus on the surface. You know, they tell you these little techniques. And then eventually uh, something emerges from that poster. You're like, whoa. I wouldn't have seen that if I only gave it a minute. 30 minutes later, <laughs> there it is. Man, saturate yourself with God's word. You're like, man, I'm sorry. I didn't start on January 1st. I'll have to start that next year. <laughs> please, please. Come on now. That's not a good excuse. That's lame. I'm gonna tell you this. You can't hope to bring something to bear that you seldom use or handle. It's funny to me. When I was in the Marine Corps, they exposed us to so many different weapon systems. I mean, it's like all these different kind of weapon systems that you may need, even AK-47s, which are not TO weapons for American soldiers or Marines. They showed us how to use these things, how to load these things, how to turn the safety off because you may, you know, never know when you have to bring it to bear. You can't bring something to bear you've never handled. Like the movies, you know, these guys, their weapon runs out of ammo, so they pick up like an Uzi or they pick up some weird, you know, 
some weapon they've never even handled and they go, you know, killing people with it. That doesn't happen. You're like trying to figure, where's the safety on this thing? Mm. You hadn't spent time with it. You got to be familiar with something to bring it to bear. And the more familiar you are, the more time you spend at the range, the more you can locate, close with, and destroy the enemy by fire maneuver. <laughs> that went in my notes. That's just weird Marine Corps stuff. <laughs> Oh, that made me laugh. That's silly. Okay. Here's a quote by Doug Wilson that's really good. Doug Wilson, man, this dude makes me laugh. He is funny. He's smart. He's the guy that sort of went, he went around the country with Christopher Hitchens and did these, um, these, these debates. And uh, he's just, man, he's strong. He said this. He said, certain ethical distinctions require maturity, experience, and long practice. And I inserted with the word of righteousness and the full oracles of God in his quote, didn't get his permission, but that contextually, that's what he's saying. Certain ethical distinctions require maturity, experience, and long practice with the word of righteousness in order for us to be able to make them. Ethical distinctions are not equally obvious to everyone. All men know that it's wrong to kill your grandmother for her money. (laughs) Oh man, he's funny. But what... Does it take to, but what sort of, you know, what sort of practice and work at these ethical distinctions or to make these ethical distinctions and the full oracles of God and the word of righteousness, does it take to see the sins of worldliness? Or to see the sins of flattery? Ooh, that's a nuance. ABCs won't do it for you with stuff like that. You got to move beyond the ABCs to know, know how to deal with things like that are other subtle sins, he says. And this was a quote that, man, I, I just got to share with you. I just thought it was profound. Legalism arises when Christian communities try to have the fruit of discernment or the ability to make fine distinctions without having the maturity that's necessary to do so. Ooh, see, he's brilliant. Legalism arises when Christian communities try to have the fruit of discernment, the ability to make fine distinctions without having the maturity that's necessary to do so. It's like new drivers, collision magnets. Now, fourth. In light of this sermon this morning, in light of the things that we considered, in light of this cold shower and this picture of milk eaters, milk drinkers and beef eaters, how about biting off something hard to read this year? How about it? How about biting off something that would be really hard and difficult to understand? I wondered, I came in here and stacked this big stack of books up before the service this morning. And um, <laughs> Aaron and Stephanie looked at me like, oh my goodness, we need to cut some songs out. It looks like it's gonna be a long morning. I said, yeah, I'm reading excerpts from all of these. Actually, I'm not. Y'all can exhale. Like, for real? This is just some books that are in my library that have, have impacted my walk. Not just impacted my head, but impacted my walk. And almost every single one of them has been really hard to read. This confession. I went to school in Louisiana, grew up in Louisiana. Louisiana's not known for the education system being, you know, exceptional. I graduated high school, haven't read one book. True story of mice and men. That was it. So reading is not my thing. I mean, anybody says, man, I don't like to read. You know, I'm not much of a reader. Okay, all right. I bet you could beat that. 
or at least meet it. <laughs> One book, pretty low bar. But these books are worth clawing your way through. The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis. On Christian Liberty, Martin Luther. All Loves Excelling, John Bunyan. This is part of a Puritan paperback series. You can't go wrong with reading Puritans. You can't go wrong. And it's a whole series. John Bunyan, All Loves Excelling. The Mystery of Providence, John Flavel. The Glory of Christ, John Owen. St. Athanasius on the Incarnation. I've worked through this with some guys. And this had purchase. It's not the kind of stuff that you're going to pick up at the local bookstore. It's stuff you got to work, look for and you got to work at. Here's some others. The Glory of Christ, John Owen. God is the Gospel, John Piper. John Calvin, the Institutes of Christian Religion. It's funny in our context, the disdain that people have for John Calvin because they associate it with a misunderstood, understanding, no understanding of Calvinism. Read this and tell me John Calvin's a knucklehead. It will blow your mind. I read this at Southwestern Seminary that was hyper un-Calvinistic. I don't know why in the world they had us read it. I'm like, man, John Calvin ain't stupid after all. It's wonderful. I mean, wonderful. Chosen by God, R.C. Sproul. The Attributes of God, A.W. Pink. St. Augustine, Confessions. Man, good stuff. The Religious Affections, Jonathan Edwards, the hardest thing I've ever read and one of the most fruitful. Jonathan Edwards, Religious Affections. I mean, you read a paragraph, and you're like, okay, I'll, I'm going to pick that up tomorrow. Because it takes you an hour to read a paragraph. You read it through about 10 times. But it's so good. The Holiness of God, R.C. Sproul. Knowing God, J.I. Packer. The Death of Death and the Death of Christ, John Owen. Jesus and the Victory of God, N.T. Wright. R.C. Sproul, Getting the Gospel Right. Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. In regular contemporary English, a treasure Talk about saturating yourself with the full council. Homeboy wrote biblish. <laughs> it was biblish. Every single phrase had a Bible reference. Like he, like he must have thought scripture. It's crazy. I imagine a conversation with his wife. She's like, stop it. Can you just, <laughs> can you just talk to me? <laughs> Overcoming sin and temptation. John Owen, Jeremiah Burroughs, the rare jewel of Christian contentment. How many people at Crosspoint's lives have been impacted by old dead dudes that any of us have access to if we'll but take the time and push ourselves to engage the deep things of God? Man. I thought about the folks in the Hebrews context and thought maybe they didn't think much of theology. Maybe they thought what really mattered is that we can just get along with each other. Maybe in their heads they thought, hey, aren't we supposed to have a childlike faith? And I wonder here today if there may be those that kind of opt toward that. You heard this stack of books. You're like, man, what does that have to do with really loving each other? And I want to encourage you to know that there's a big difference between childlike faith and childish faith. Childish faith has no time for the deep truths of God. Milk drinking Christians are shallow in their understanding of the deep things of God. And I challenge you with this question. What have you read in the last six months? And what will you read in the next? The last application point. I want you to turn to Hebrew, or Ephesians 4.14. And then I'm going to close this. Ephesians 4.14. <clears throat> I 
All right. This is, this is just so simple, but so sweet. The fifth application point from this is there is such thing as maturity and you should be seeking it. There is such thing as maturity and you should be seeking it. For here's what's in store for you if you don't. I'm gonna read this whole passage in context. Chapter four, beginning in verse 11, because I want you to see the role that the pastor teacher plays in this. It's not the main point, but it's, it's, it's ironic, interesting, that here we are in the middle of this sermon, engaging these sort of truths about these sort of things, and then here it is in context. Chapter four, verse 11. And he gave apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastor and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that's you, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. There it is right there. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children, childish, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning. That's what's in store for you if you are content with drinking milk. Being blown about by every wave and every wind and by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Infant Christians, milk-drinking Christians can't discern between faith expressions and what's false and self-centered. I'm having to make those distinctions every single day in how to move with people. You need to be able to make those distinctions too. That can't just be me and Brad and Scott. We all have to make those distinctions with each other. But milk-drinking Christians can't make that distinction. Milk-drinking Christians can't discern between sound teaching and faulty teaching. Hear that. Milk-drinking Christians won't be able to see if someone is making much of themselves or much of God. That happens every single day. I, at times, am making much of myself where I need someone to speak into my life and say, Ben McGraw, I've been eating good solid food and I can see in your life right now you're focused on numero uno and you need to die. That needs to be crucified. I need discerning people around me that are eating solid food that can do that because milk drinkers won't be able to do that. Milk drinking Christians cannot discern between the sound and the unsound. But the beef eaters, the beef eaters, those feasting on the deep truths and oracles of God and constantly practicing and applying those to life, now those will be discerning. Those, in fact, will have powers of discernment. Man, I love that. Now, I'll tell you as I close here, this is generally a hungry church. In 10 years of ministry with y'all, we've grown up together. Now, not everybody's been here those all 10 years. 
But those of you that have been here for a period of time, you know that we've grown up together. Our message has grown up together. Even the way we move together has grown up together. How we communicate with others, we've grown up together. We have been maturing, but we have not arrived. We are a hungry church. People are hungry for truth here. And in large part, I would say are wrestling with the oracles of God and how those apply to Tuesday, to then, to marriage, to parenting, to whatever. I encourage you not to get comfy where you are. Don't get comfy. I find when I get comfy, I'm going backwards, man. I'm looking for a bottle of milk, glass of milk. I encourage you, eat hearty. Teach others. And practice constantly wielding what you eat. Let me pray. God, I'm so thankful for this beautiful picture of maturity. Thankful, too, for the cold shower of immaturity and seeing what that looks like, Lord. It gives us some insight and a view to how easy that can happen. Lord, I pray as one of the pastors of this church and see the things that this Hebrews preacher is calling milk and realizing that that would be pretty substantial fare for this church or any other Lord, I pray that we have the ABCs down, but that we are moving well into the deep oracles of God. I pray that we as a church are feasting on deep truths of God, of Christ as king, of propitiation, of Christ as our high priest, of these deep truths that will connect to our marriages and our friendships that they will invade how we communicate with each other. They will become a lens in which we view the world. I pray for that, Lord. I pray that we will be faithful about that. I pray for maybe a young mom that feels like she doesn't have time to read something substantial, that she will carve out time to read something that will challenge her. I pray that her kids will see her reading something that they can hardly even make out the title of. I pray that she and her husband will be able to talk together and enjoy those sort of truths together. I pray that her husband will be challenged by what he sees his wife reading. I pray that men will have some important and deep things to talk about together as they read deep and difficult and awesome and great truths. I'm thankful for the many men that we have a chance to sit at the feet of, many dead men that are long since that are with you. I'm thankful that they recorded their teaching so that we can enjoy and learn through them. We can enjoy what they've taught and learn through them. You have blessed us with many, many strong and square broad shoulders to stand on. I pray that we'll be a church that takes advantage of that. God, we are so thankful for our time together in the word this morning. I'm so thankful for this challenging book, Hebrews. What a great book. God, we love you so much. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, kids, Y'all did amazing. You really did. I, I wasn't distracted. I don't, sometimes folks mention something that distracted them that I was completely oblivious to. So I, I'm probably not a good judge of that. But as far as I'm concerned, y'all did great. So I'm thankful. Um, that's not a small feat sitting that long um, without you know, some entertainment of some sort. So y'all did really good. We're thankful to have y'all today. It's cool. Um, I'm going to stack these books up before I leave to where you can see them. If you, you know, if, you, if I mentioned something like, what was the title of that or who's the author of that again? Uh, you can grab that or you can not grab it. Don't grab my books. 
you want a book, we'll get you one. Don't take mine, though. Something's on up here. It may be that mic. Um, the, uh, I'll just share with you some really easy ones. On, on it, the, the Institutes, John Calvin is a wonderful read. It's not lame. It's not boring. I'm telling you, it's amazing. And that's like an abridged version. It's a pretty thick book, and that one's kind of thinner. So it takes some real good meaty sections. Uh, On Christian Liberty, Martin Luther. Man, I don't know if if you can be a Protestant not reading that. You need to read that. That's just like an important read. You can be a Protestant and not read this, but you need to. I mean, I encourage you to read it. It's easy. A.W. Pink, he's so fun to read. He's a great illustrator. Attributes of God, man, just good stuff. The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis, look how small that is. That's so good. It's so good. These little little pamphlets, you know, you could just, and you wear these things out. Um, Athanasius. I worked through Athanasius with some guys, and we had a great time working through it. It's not hard. Uh, It's crazy. It's something that's written 1,600 years ago could be so easy to read. Man, that is amazing. I mean, really, you'll be shocked by it. So I encourage you to bite off something hard this year. So the next six months, make it a shorter period. Let's, let me tackle something. Thanks for being here, y'all, this morning. Let's stand and I'll dismiss you. God, you're a great God. We are so thankful for our journey together, thankful for uh, the time that we've had to spend together this morning. Uh, we love you. We offer this week to you as an offering and pray that it'll be a sweet aroma. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank y'all.